For a long time now, I've been a fan of um, the novels of John le Carré. He's one of those writers whose books I buy in hardback, um, and being a good and, for the most part, frugal Mennonite, I can tell you that he's on a very short list. I'm especially fond of his earlier novels, the ones featuring um, the short, round, watery-eyed spy named George Smiley. George Smiley is sort of an uber-nerd, soft, gray, and utterly British. But as a fictional admirer notes, Smiley's not as fragile as he appears. There's steel underneath his soft exterior. In three of the Smiley novels, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, The Honorable Schoolboy, and Smiley's People, our George is called upon to identify a Russian mole who has burrowed his way into the British intelligence service. By the conclusion of the first book, the mole uh, is identified and suffers the consequences of his, of his betrayal. And the remaining two books take up Smiley's quest to capture the mole's handler, a Russian super spy whose code name is Karla. But the real subject of the books, if you ask me, is love. Haunting Smiley all along the way is his wife, Anne, an upper-class serial adulterer. She loves George, or says she does, but constantly betrays him with other men. And he loves her, or thinks he does, even while he's deeply wounded by her betrayal. Love for George Smiley is both savior and destroyer. In Smiley's world, there is no love without some form of betrayal, whether that's the love of country or love of justice or the love of a spouse or a child. In the end, that love will either betray or be the cause of betrayal. And it's that deeper story, in my opinion, which separates Le Carre from the Ludlums and the Daytons and the Clancy's and all those other spy novelists. Le Carre reveals that there is ever so much more at stake in this life than the interests of nation states. What really matters is what happens between human beings. But this is not intended to be a book review, so let me get to the point. When you enter the world of George Smiley, you enter a kind of parallel universe. It's a universe of secret codes and hidden microphones. A chalk mark on the wall may be something casually left by a child or it may be a signal to an agent that all is clear. A newspaper folded and tucked under the left arm may simply be a convenient way to carry it, or it may be a sign that the bad guys are on the way and it's time to move out. A slip of paper tucked under the door may be today's mail, or it may be a sign that someone has broken into your house. It's not really a matter of what you see. Everyday folks would see all of these things and have everyday explanations for them. What matters is the eyes with which you see them. Seen through Smiley's eyes, the eyes of a spy, all of these ordinary things take on a deeper significance. Believing the world to be organized a certain way, Smiley and his comrades see things accordingly. They see things we ordinary mortals cannot. They see the deeper truth beneath the surface, and seeing that deeper truth is often what saves them. Today's gospel story occurs as the last event in the life of Jesus prior to his entry into Jerusalem and the subsequent passion. It's part of a larger portion of Mark's gospel, which is framed by the healings of two blind men. In chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man in Bethsaida, and here in chapter 10, Jesus heals Bartimaeus in Jericho. And in between these two healings, Jesus and his disciples are on the move toward Jerusalem, 
And as they go, the tension mounts as Jesus reveals the truth about who he is and why he's come. And so right after the healing in Bethsaida, there's the question of identity, followed by Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. Then Jesus starts talking about his death. Chapter 9 begins with the transfiguration, another revealing of the truth about who Jesus is. And when the disciples then find themselves unable to bring healing to a boy possessed of a spirit, Jesus delivers the child and then talks some more about dying. Two of the disciples debate who's the greatest of them all. Jesus reveals something new about his reign when he gathers a child onto his lap. An exorcist casts out demons without following Jesus, and the disciples get anxious about his reputation. And Jesus tells them to just be grateful that somebody's doing something good. Jesus warns them about the temptation to sin and explains again how his teaching is different from that which they may have heard before. A rich man comes and asks how to be saved, and Jesus tells him to sell everything and give it to the poor. And when the disciples then wonder how anybody can be saved, Jesus reminds them that only God can save anybody. Then he tells them about his death again. Then James and John argue over who will have the best seats in Jesus' kingdom, and Jesus reminds them that vying for power is a sure way to end up sitting in the corner. And then Bartimaeus. Yet another story of healing of a blind man. Coming after story upon story of Jesus revealing himself to his followers and his followers not seeing him at all. Or to be fair, seeing only a little bit of the truth, like through a glass darkly, catching a hint here and there of the deeper truth beneath the surface, but still operating as if the world were just as it had always been, just as it had always seemed to be. And so there they are walking through Jericho, and this man Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Mark tells us, which makes sense since Bartimaeus means, well, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus is in his usual spot somewhere along the road running through town. And we're going to use our imagination um, and say that he'd been occupying that same spot for years. He'd been in that spot so long, in fact, that he'd begun to blend into the background. The shopkeepers and citizens of Jericho who walked by him daily had long since learned to look past him. They were invisible to him and he'd become invisible to them. I'm imagining this, of course, but if you've ever been in a place where blind or sick people sit on street corners and beg, you'll know that my imagination is really not running away with me. This is how we learn to live with the difficult stuff around us. We learn to look past it or through it or in some other way to see it without really seeing it. Well, in any case, there's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, whose name means son of Timaeus, sitting by the side of the road, and somehow he catches wind of who's walking by that day. Maybe the story of what had happened earlier in Bethsaida had already come to Jericho. Or maybe Bartimaeus just had some sort of feeling that today was the day, or maybe the Spirit of God gave him a little nudge. Or maybe somebody removed their blinders long enough to whisper that someone powerful this way comes. And so son of Timaeus shouts out and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And suddenly everybody notices him. His voice cuts through the polite haze. And they remember he is there. And perhaps they remember their shame. And so they sternly order him to be quiet, to stop yelling, to go back to being invisible. But son of Timaeus does not listen to them. He somehow knows that this is the day Or maybe he's just tired of being shouted down. 
Or maybe he's just like this, ornery, unruly, uncooperative, a problem. We know so little about him, don't we? Like the villagers, all we know is that Bartimaeus is a blind man. Like them, we see only what is damaged, what is broken, what needs fixing, what we cannot fix. We understand, I think, don't we? The shameful desire to look through him or past him, to pretend that he's not really there. But today he's not going to cooperate with our little conspiracy. So he keeps right on shouting even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, maybe by this point the crowd is getting a little nervous. Maybe they'll need to make him be quiet. They might need to call the police or carry him off themselves. He won't stop shouting. He'll not stop drawing attention to himself. And so wrecking all of our careful efforts to not attend to him at all, then Jesus speaks, call him here. And here it seems to me, here is the first and really the more remarkable healing in this story. With three words, call him here, Jesus transforms the relationship of this community to the son of Timaeus. With three words, Jesus opens the eyes of the people and reveals that Bartimaeus, even Bartimaeus, is welcome to come to Jesus. All the barriers that they'd placed between Bartimaeus and Jesus, all of those things which made it possible for them to act as if he were invisible, all of those things which willfully or otherwise blinded them to Bartimaeus and his needs, all of those things are, for a moment at least, shoved out of the picture. And for that moment at least, Bartimaeus is revealed to them as a child of God like any other, a child of God in need of a welcome and a word of healing. Now, we can't know what happens after the story ends. We can't know whether they reverted to their old way of seeing as soon as Jesus left town with old Bartimaeus hot on his heels. We can't know if they simply learned again the art of seeing only what they wanted to see, ignoring or looking past the sick, the poor, the unclean, the dangerous, the unworthy reverted to that older, safer way of walking through the world, looking out only for themselves, and if they thought of them at all, declaring that the poor, etc., were that way because it was meant to be, or because they did something to deserve it, or because they were too lazy to make something of themselves. The undeserving poor, three words that exclude, that marginalize, and that when spoken often enough make the speakers go blind. But maybe those other three words, the three spoken by Jesus, call him here. Or maybe they mark a conversion for the members of that community. Maybe they had their eyes open not only for a moment, but permanently. Well, we're wise enough and experienced enough to know that there were likely many occasions for backsliding, for closing their eyes again, for stepping back into that other way of believing, that other way of seeing. But we've also been around long enough to know that once we've seen things through healed eyes, they never really do look the same again. It takes a lifetime of practice for our eyes to completely heal. But from the first glimpse of that deeper truth, well, we really are never the same again. This is, I admit, the part of the story that gets to me. I have a friend who once said that he has no problem believing that Jonah was swallowed by a whale what he has trouble believing is that the whole city of Nineveh repented. And I suppose I feel the same way about this story. I have no trouble believing that Bartimaeus got, gets healed. What stretches my imagination 
and my faith is the possibility that with three words, Jesus brings healing to a whole community. That, that uh, as we used to say, is a real mind blower. A community suddenly able to see something deeper, something moving under the surface, and so realize that what they are seeing is nothing less than the hand of God. In the words of another of my fictional heroes, Strong Bad, that, my friend, is Jumbo Large. Jesus speaks three words, and the community suddenly sees the way they'd long since to see someone they'd long since declared to be invisible, the one toward whom they'd long since turned a blind eye. And they say to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Now, if there's any hint at all about what's happening here, I think it's in those first two words spoken by the crowd. I mean, get up, he's calling you. That we can hear with a cynical ear. Get up, he's calling you. Those words can be spoken in any number of ways, and many of them cold and even unkind. Get up, he's calling you. Get up. He's calling you. Not necessarily spoken harshly, but, but maybe, maybe so. But those first two words, take heart. No matter how I try, I can't say those words anyway, but gently, kindly, compassionately, take heart. Words that reveal, if we can only read the sign, words that reveal a shift in point of view, a shift from blindness to sight. Take heart. Sweet words, loving words, encouraging words. And words spoken not terribly long after words of rebuke, a stern order to be quiet. Take heart. A hint, I think, of the deeper something that's happening in this community when Jesus spoke and invited Bartimaeus to come to him. Those same words, it seems, also invited the community to open its eyes and see Bartimaeus as someone or something more than what they'd come to believe. And so they spoke to Bartimaeus, and he came to Jesus. Then the strange question, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, I don't know. The answer seems obvious. and Maybe it is. Maybe all that was needed was for Bartimaeus to speak it, to say it out loud, to say the words that he'd never had opportunity to say before, at least not with any hope of their coming to pass. My teacher, let me see again. Words of faith. Okay, you ask me what I want. This is what I want. And you can give it to me. Go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regains his sight. He's no longer blind. And what does he do? He follows after Jesus. He follows Jesus on the way. His eyes are open to the deeper truth under the surface of things. And that deeper truth he knows is Jesus. And it's that deeper truth that saves him. Believing makes seeing possible. What we believe to be true about the world, about human beings, about God, shapes and defines how and what we see. Most of us have spent at least some time walking blindly through the world, aware only of the surface, of what's right in front of our eyes, and unaware of any deeper meaning, any deeper truth just below the surface. Oh, the signs were there, markings on the walls and Newspaper folded just so, a slip of paper lying on the floor. The signs were there. 
but we could not make sense of them. We could not see their meaning. They did not signify. And so we explained them away. And then Jesus called us and asked us what we wanted. And before we could think about it, we asked to see, and he made us see, and we followed along after him. And along the way, we learned the wonder of this new vision. We learned to catch the hidden meanings, the the secret signals, the signs of mystery and wonder all around us. Small things are suddenly revealed as the most profound miracles, and great things are placed in their proper perspective. We learn to see everything and everyone as new in Christ and created by Christ and belonging to Christ and redeemed by Christ. Nothing looks the same anymore or shouldn't once we've heard those words. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Your faith has made you well. Now we also learn pretty quickly, don't we, that this new vision, this healed sight comes with a cost. There's a burden unique to those with eyes to see the deeper truth beneath the surface. We can no longer turn our eyes from what makes us uncomfortable or unhappy or uneasy. We can no longer pretend that Bartimaeus does not exist, that there are no poor or none deserving of our compassion. We lose the ability to turn a blind eye to the needs around us, or we ought to. Let's be honest. I mean, don't we sometimes wish we could close our eyes and be blind again? But then Jesus says again and again and again, as often as we need to hear it, call him here. Call her here. And our eyes are opened again. We see what we tried to make invisible. And we say to our own Bartimaeus, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Or maybe this time it's the other way around. Bartimaeus says to us, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Seeing the world in each other with the same eyes which see Jesus, together we move toward him, following after him on the way. Seeing clearly the signs we would have missed had Jesus not said to us, your faith has made you well. In the end, I suppose Smiley's world is not so different from our own. We don't look around to see if we're being tailed or write all of our letters in code or worry about our phones being tapped by some evil Russian spy or his pet mole. At least most of us don't. No, um, our sensitivity moves along another trail altogether or to use different language. Ours is a quite different meta-narrative. The story which guides our vision is one rooted in scenes like this from Mark's gospel, scenes in which the blind receive their sight, the sick are made whole, the poor have good news proclaimed to them, and the prisoners are set free from whatever it is that binds them. Ours is a different story indeed. Still, we followers along the way do keep our eyes peeled. We're called to keep our eyes peeled for signs and symbols and the marks of the Spirit's passing. Signs which help us notice when Jesus is coming through town. Signs which reveal the possibility of our healing. Signs which remind us that there was no one beyond the scope of God's love. No one who was unwelcome. No one who was invisible. No one whose voice must be silenced. No one beyond the reach of those words. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Do we see the the world with the eyes of Christ? 
Do we live as if there is some deeper truth, some deeper reality below the surface of our existence? Do we resist the temptation to close our eyes to those around us, the poor, the weak, the troubled, the troublesome, to close our eyes and so render them invisible and ourselves blind? Do we see Bartimaeus and say, take heart, and then open the way for him, for her, for all of us, to approach the Christ, the living sign of God's love, and the Spirit's continued presence in this world? In a world like George Smiley's, a world like ours, where love is too often damaged by betrayal, and broken hearts are everywhere to be found, do we see the love which does not betray, the love which keeps its promises, the love that mends the brokenhearted? Do we see the love which calls us to come and be healed? If so, sisters and brothers, if we see the myriad signs of that love everywhere we turn, then I invite us to offer the countersign to everyone we meet. Take heart. Get up. Love is calling your name. Amen.